Madison Cawthorn, former Trump Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, David Clark on Rising Crime, Lee Strobel makes the case for heaven, actor Eric Close on his film The Mulligan, Christian artist Riley Clements, Christian music icon Natalie Grant, Christian singer Rebecca St. James, Christian pop duo for King and Country, Christian supergroup Newsboys, the stand-up comedy of Nazareth, columnist Ron Hart, illusionist Taylor Reed, illusionist Danny Ray, digital illusionist Keelan Laser, the charismatic illusions of Leon Evian, the dangerous illusions of Craig Cargus, hilarious columnist Ron Hart, hilarious news stories on In Case You Missed It. The record for the largest display of nuts is still in Congress. Satirical columnist Ron Hart, television star Kathy Lee Gifford, and Rudy Giuliani remembers 9-11. I'm just getting warmed up. Happy to see you again. Don't be nervous. Don't be rocky. You're a teenage guest is jockey now. And let me begin by wishing you a beautiful look. Did that voice inside you say, I've heard it all before. It's like deja vu all over Yes, Mike Huckabee's show does sound like fun, and I'll fight anybody who disagrees with me. Uh, how you doing, kids? It is Friday, March 3rd, 2023, 27 days until opening day. You are at jconthewine.com. Lovely day if you're listening to, I mean, you, you do a Friday podcast, you never know when people are listening to it, but assume, assuming you are listening on Friday, yeah, it's a lovely out there. Do you realize that if all of this had been snow, which very easily could have been, the biggest snowfalls we have in St. Louis are usually in late February, but mostly March. That's where you get the big ones. In fact, we were looking at a 10-inch snowstorm on this date in St. Louis back in 2008. And just two days ago, on March 1st, uh, 2011, we had a blizzard in St. Louis. So, you know, this very easily all could have been snow. And had it been, it would have been looking at 20, 25 inches of snow. So translated, uh, don't complain. The soccer game tomorrow night, I'm sorry, the soccer match. See, I'm immediately suspicious of any sport that <laughs> you can't call a game. How about your golf game? I think technically you're supposed to say match in that too. Are you going to the baseball match next month? How about the football match? So when you start creating your own language for this stuff, that's when I get very, very suspicious. Anyhow, originally it looked like game time temperature might have been in the mid-30s, and now it doesn't look like it's going to be that bad at all. As a matter of fact, it will be very deceptive on Saturday night because it'll start out really not that bad. Probably temperatures in the 50s, but it's going to fall severely throughout the course of the game. So, oh, I'm sorry, the match. Oh, fuck. Give me... Oh, great day on Channel 4. Matt Seebeck, the uh, 
PR guy for St. Louis FC. What a dick. Change there. Um, but it's basically to say that any interaction our fans have with the club, our department is responsible for. So certainly the, the game day experience, but... Bullshit, 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 bullshit. Our social channels, our content, our merchandise. So um, has really allowed us to create some really nice consistencies between no matter where fans engage with the club. That's another one of those things. They call it a club. It's not a club. It's a team. Again, <laughs> never mind. I'm not going to win this. But... Uh, yeah, this is Matt Seaback. This is a guy, a little fucking troll, who put up a website a couple of years ago and just sat there and posted all of this evil, you know, I think he thought it was snarky, but it was really just shithead stuff about people who were in the public eye. In other words, generally successful people. But Matt sat there in his little dumpy apartment in New City wearing his little hoodie and he was like, uh, that sucks. Uh, this sucks. You know what else sucks? This sucks. And, and everything sucks. Now they put him in a suit and tie and they put him out there on TV to represent St. Louis FC. And I wonder if they did any research. I wonder if they thoroughly vetted this kid and, and basically said, uh, are there going to be people who hate you because of all of the bullshit you pulled that will then take it out on St. Louis FC? They didn't bother answering that fucking question little asshole all right where was i oh the uh yeah the for those of you are going to enjoy the big match of the club saturday night you'll be cold but you won't freeze to death alex murdoch i'm already tired of even hearing the name i will say that i'm getting the idea that that jury didn't like him didn't like him and didn't believe a word he said three hours I thought somebody was pulling a prank when they put it up last night and said, the jury's in. It's like, yeah, no, they're not. And I turned on CNN and I was like, holy shit, the jury's in. How can that be up to three hours? You know, generally what they say is that uh, you can consider one hour of deliberation for every day of the trial. So this was like 28 days. So in theory, you should have had about two full days, two 12-hour days of deliberation instead <laughs> it was three hours i was involved in a case like that once where my lawyer told me ahead of time he said um, generally in these uh, situations the judge is going to take five six days i've seen it take longer i've seen it take as long as two weeks but uh you know might as well go back to work because you know nothing's going to happen today and i got a call an hour later from the same attorney who said the judge has ruled and ruled in my favor by the way don't try to sue me. Don't don't try to. Nobody ever wins. But but we're going to present something here on the J.C. Corcoran podcast, podcast today that you don't get anywhere else. For example, somebody calling a podcast. Uh, <laughs> you get something you don't get anywhere else, and that is commentary on this whole situation down there in South Carolina from somebody who really knows his shit when it comes to being in a courtroom, and that's our buddy. OJ. Hey, Twitter world, it's me, yours truly. Well, a whole lot of people are asking me what I think about this uh, Alex Murdoch trial. I don't know why they think I'm an expert on it, but uh, I got to admit, when he took the stand, a guy who's an habitual liar, I did watch uh, um, when the trial first started. Uh, I watched him take the stand, and I uh, thought it was probably a mistake because the guy is an admitted liar. And it's hard for me to think he can be on the stand five, six, seven, eight days uh, without lying. Question is, what did he lie about? Uh, but lying and stealing money is a little different than murder. 
I realized in watching them testify what he was doing. He was just trying to relate to one or two of those jurors that he was a good old boy. He was one of them. Uh, and I'm not sure he didn't succeed in doing that. Uh, I am not qualified to, to really say if the guy did it or he didn't do it. Uh, you know, if a juror missed an hour of testimony, they no longer qualified. I've missed days that I haven't watched this. Um, uh, but from what I've seen, do I think it's more likely that he did it? Yes. But more likely equals reasonable doubt. Well, I don't know about you, but I think it was awfully nice of him to take time out from his never-ending search for the real killers which been going on down for what like almost 30 years to record that for us on twitter he's a hell of a guy now let's move on to somebody else the world adores some people don't need to know anything about anything to have some pretty strong opinions take georgia representative and and escape diorama of a Neanderthal female, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yesterday, Greene was at a subcommittee hearing on COVID. For the record, she's pro. She was against most, most of the precautions, like masks and vaccines and lockdowns, and she made a pretty convincing point about the present state of American education. The response to COVID-19 was devastating to our country, and it's going to be years before we really know the effects and the outcome um, on our society and especially on our children. What it did to our children's math and reading levels is horrific. Here's what is shocking to me. There are 1,524, 524 and 481, this is over 1 million, 1.5 million. I know watching that made my math level drop. And now to somebody else the world adores. And then we have Laura Ingram, who interviewed a parent from some town in Maine who was upset about books his sons found at the school library. One uh, of the sons is in high school, one's in elementary. The book the kid at the high school got was definitely inappropriate for teenagers. I looked it up. But for whatever reason, the guy brought his nine-year-old on TV with him to talk about it. And watch this kid closely, because he's good. So that book was genderqueer. Um, my son actually checked that out of the high school library and brought it home and I looked through it. There was graphic content of two boys and uh, one of them was sucking him okay. off. Okay, all right, yeah. And yeah. We get it. <laughs> I apologize for that because it is uh, audio only, but you ought to see the look of the case. He was, uh, he was like <laughs> trying not to laugh but then he decided to make a face, and it's really funny. If I can find it online somewhere, I'll post it on my Facebook page of the showgram with J.C. Gregor. But the audio alone is funny enough. And as far as uh, our big load of clips here today, 
I'll conclude this segment with this. When you sign a contract in media, and let's just make this television only. When you sign a contract in television, even local television, there's all these like little clauses that you have to watch out for. And there's a million of them. But the one I'm going to concentrate on here today has to do with presentation. Uh, I remember a long time ago, back in the 80s, as a matter of fact, there was a television anchor woman who had it in her contract that the television station, were she to lose her on-screen appeal and attractiveness, the television station could nullify her contract. In other words, we're hiring you right now because you'll look great. And you can read off a teleprompter. Well, let's go back to that looking great thing. If something were to happen to, let's say, your face, let's say you got shingles and you had a big rash all over your face, or you were in a car accident and your head goes through the windshield and you end up with 75 stitches across your forehead. See, but that's the easy application because you, you could it's just not practical to put somebody on television who would have uh, such a distraction in their facial features that people would be, I don't even know what the news is. I couldn't stop just looking at her 75-inch scar. So I don't even know. That would be not beneficial to anybody involved, the sponsors, the television station, and not even the anchor person, except for the fact that now you're not drawing a paycheck because you had the misfortune of having had some sort of accident that disfigured your face. But the point is that the TV stations are in a position, if they want to, if your appearance changes to their dislike, they can yank you off the air and not pay you. Now, in radio contracts, there's the equivalent of that that says, well, if something goes wrong with your voice and it doesn't sound like you anymore because you, you know, just some sort of affliction or illness or disease or whatever. Now you start talking and people are like, ew, what is that? Change the station. Well, there you go again. The station can pull you off the air and not pay you. So with all that in mind, I'm focusing today on the CBS television network, the network news, as a matter of fact, at 530 with Nora O'Donnell and a reporter by the uh, uh, reporter been with the network for years, a guy by the name of Jeff Begay, who, by the way, is a pretty darn good reporter, black man, been with the network for a long time. And I would also say for good reason, good, solid journalist. However, for the last couple of weeks, well, you tell me. Investigators say this is Mark Muffley, caught on Lehigh Valley International Airport surveillance cameras Monday, pulling two black pieces of luggage and allegedly booked to fly on Allegiant Airlines Flight 201 bound for Orlando. What's the matter with you? He didn't always sound like that. That just started recently. I know it sounds like. Oh, maybe he's coming off the flu or something like that, but it's not it. It's been going on for weeks. I, I'm, I'm just talking to the best I can right now because there's something wrong with my throat. Sounds like he's being strangled. I mean, on one hand, I feel sorry for the guy. But on the other hand, if you're the network, it's like, how, how are you allowing that to go out over the air? They contacted the president of the CBS television network for a comment, and he said, I think he sounds absolutely fine. What are you talking about? And allegedly booked to fly on Allegiant Airlines Flight 201 bound for Orlando. I'm going to get that guy a lozenge. I'm puzzled by the fact that... Uh, Was it yesterday? I think it was, yeah. Will Smith gets an NAACP Image Award. Anybody else puzzled like me? I like stories like this 
um, people who achieve stardom and they have, you know, fancy dresses for the women and fancy tuxedos and the guys just look great and the women look fantastic and you see their mansions and you find out that they're worth so much money and a lot of people idolize them. A lot of other people think, what's so special about you? People become very uh, irritated by the fact that people are successful. Then you start reading their stories. I love Viola Davis. I think she is fantastic. Um, she spent her childhood in what they called abject poverty and dysfunction and lived in a rat-infested and condemned apartment. When she was two, she was taken to jail with her mother, who was a civil rights activist, who was arrested during a protest. Now, of course, she's winning awards, and she's a fabulous actress and human being. Sarah Jessica Parker grew up with seven siblings. Her family didn't always have money for electricity, phone service, Christmas presents, or birthday celebrations. Halle Berry was a black child being raised by a white woman. That's in quotes. And finding black role models on television and through movies, and that became very crucial to her. When she moved to uh, New York, she ran out of money after three months, and after her mom refused to help her, they didn't speak for a year. When she was 12, Sydney Sweeney wanted to audition for a small movie production that came to her hometown so she convinced her parents to let her but along with a five-year business plan the following year the family sold their house in washington and moved to la and they lived in one room where sydney and her mom shared the bed while her dad and brother shared the couch when Leighton meester was born both of her parents were in prison for their involvement in a drug smuggling ring Jessica Chastain, who I adore, by the way, grew up with a single mother who worked very hard to put food on the table, and there were many nights when her family had to go to sleep without eating. Selena Gomez's mom, who was 16 when she had her, gave up everything for her and had three jobs. Hillary Swank grew up in poverty in Washington. When she was 16, she and her mom relocated to L.A. They lived out of their car. Jennifer Lopez and her two sisters all shared a room. When she was 18, she moved out and started sleeping in the office of her dance studio because her mom didn't approve of her choosing dance over college. And, of course, Mila Kunis was seven when her family moved from Ukraine to California with literally nothing. That's in quotes. Her parents were initially against her becoming an actor because they considered it an unstable and unpredictable profession, but she balanced public school with acting from age nine, and the rest is history. Like I said, I like stories like that, and it reminds you that just because what you're seeing now is all glitzy and glamorous and just drenched in money, a lot of these people had to work a lot harder than we ever did, and were in conditions were a lot worse than we ever had to endure. Just a little reminder, one of the things that I've always talked about on the air is stuff that is going on in the broadcast industry. Because first of all, I think it's interesting, and I think you guys think it's interesting, and I have reason to believe that. And then the other thing is, I think it's important for you to understand why you're hearing and seeing what you're hearing and seeing. Because there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that people never know anything about. And they're like, well, why the hell is that out? Why do they do that that way? There's reasons for all the things. I didn't say the reasons were always correct or had viability or 
legitimacy, but but at least it's the reasons that they give for doing things the way they do. So I've always told you about that stuff because I think you should know. There was a major study that just came out a couple of weeks ago, and I've been really looking at this thing, and I finally figured out a way to present it to you. But it was a somebody did a comprehensive study on radio stations and whether or not contests compel people to listen to a certain radio station. Now, you also have to remember that in 2009, in 2009, there was a seismic shift in the broadcast industry. The rating service that they had been using, the, the entire radio of the, the industry had been using, flipped to a new system, and it turned the business really upside down. I still remember our nighttime guy, Drew Johnson, great guy, who was uh, doing our nighttime show at K-Hits, and overnight, overnight, because of the new system put into place, his ratings went up 420%. One day, he's being told, eh, not a lot of people are listening tonight, but uh, you know, do the best job you can, to the next day where they're like, holy shit, everybody is listening to you. And they tried to tell us that so fewer people were listening to morning shows than they thought. It was all a bunch of bullshit. And when they brought a representative of the company in to address us about all of these new changes and how we should handle the changes and what we can do to make the system work best for us, I raised my hand and I said, well, here's the problem I have with this, sir. And that is our nighttime guy, Drew Johnson, his ratings just went up 420%. So this isn't really my opinion. This is fact. And the fact is that either your old system was bullshit or the new system is bullshit. So I'd like to know which one it was. And everybody in the room got, there were like 30 people in the room. We got very, very uncomfortable. And I think the boss got really mad at me for asking that question. The guy from the company didn't like the question. I thought it was the most obvious question that somebody should ask. One minute you're in last place. Now you're in first place. How can that be? Something's wrong somewhere. And I never did get an answer. But I know what the answer is. So anyhow, this company comes along and they're like, we want to know whether or not running contests on radio stations really makes a difference to anybody. So they did a comprehensive study, thousands and thousands of people, you know, a, a good, solid, comprehensive study where they take into consideration weighting, as the uh, uh, mathematicians will say, where you get representatives from all, you know, every socioeconomic group there is, you know, women, men, women 18 to 34, men 25, 54, of you know teens the whole thing they did everybody and you know and, and again it's important to remember that one of the things that was a fallout from that uh, seismic shift in the rating system back in 2009 is that they basically told us according to uh, what we now know nobody wants to hear you talk so shut up just play the music and shut up and for god's sakes don't talk about anything controversial don't talk about sex politics religion don't uh, don't be doing any of that stuff light tight and bright just get in get out get the commercials played and get back to music that's what people want and of course we're all sitting there going that's bullshit and you know it and we're not trying to you know over inflate our own self-importance we just know from having done the job for so many decades we know why people listen it's a combination of a lot of things but to marginalize the impact of the on-air personalities is nonsense
In fact, when you look at uh, the competition, meaning streaming like Spotify and then satellite radio and stuff like that, when you look at it from that perspective, you realize, at least I did, that the one real difference that terrestrial radio, that's what you get on your radio over the air, call it terrestrial radio, what uh, the one real advantage that over the air radio has over all of these other services is the local sort of big, larger-than-life radio DJ. And I'm talking about the good ones. I'm not talking about the schlubs and the posers and the people who think they're funny and aren't. I'm talking about the bona fide, legitimate, on-air personalities who have been around for, you know, in a lot of cases, decades, and whose ratings are really, really good, and everybody wants to advertise on the show, and everything like that. That We know that those things are important. And what radio has done over the course of the last, you know, dozen years or so is pretty much eliminated it. Look at all of the people who have not worked on the air in St. Louis. All of these great on-air personalities who made local radio stations great and were rewarded by the management showing them the door because they didn't think we had any value anymore. So I said all that to set up this because you'll be very entertained by this now. And the question basically was, why do you listen to the radio station that you do? Because what they wanted to find out was, do contests make a difference? Okay. So according to the survey, here it is. I got to move up a little closer to the screen because it's real tiny print. Well, let's just check and see what the last place answer was with 11% twin prizes. The last place answer. Now we move up. Sports, charitable and community events, traffic, music surprises to discover new music artists, weather, escape the pressures of everyday life. They enjoy the talk shows to be informed in an emergency, to get in a better mood, to find out what's going on locally, to be informed about the news. It keeps me company. I like to to be at work with the radio on. I feel a connection with the radio. I'm in the habit of listening. I want to hear my favorite songs and artists. And then we get to the top three. Number three, it's free. I'm going to jump to number one. It's easy to listen to in the car. The number two answer, the number two answer, the DJs and the hosts. You know, there's an interesting story that came out of Boston. I still remember the radio station, W-E-E-I, W-E-E-I. It was a music station, and this was uh, back in the 80s sometime. And the program director said, I'll fix your wagon. I will put a timer on the microphone of 15 seconds. So when you turn the microphone on, you've got 15 seconds, and then it's going to cut off. Hardy, har, fucking har. This guy that station was in Boston. Can you imagine if that station had been around during the Boston Marathon tragedy of a couple of years ago? Guy turns on the microphone and goes, okay, we had a major explosion and uh, there's blood and body limbs all over the streets of downtown Boston. The killers are on the loose. The police are chasing them down. We're not really sure there could be more than one person involved. Bostonians are just running through the streets and police strongly advise that you... Going all the way back to the 80s, I told you, I told you that the industry, the radio industry, is being run by idiots and morons. And people thought I was just being funny. And I I was, 
And at the same time, I was telling you the truth. And as we pointed out on yesterday's podcast, all but one of the major broadcast companies is bankrupt. And you can hear what's coming out of your speakers. The same 350 songs over and over and over again. I rest my case. It should be pointed out that um, Sunday is the anniversary of the death of Bob Hyland, the overlord who ran KMOX for years and years and years. Notice I called him Bob Hyland. There are still people in this industry that refer to him as Mr. Hyland. Like he's going to come back from the grave and go, what did you call me? See, now, if, if I had the opportunity to do one of those uh, like stories from the window things that they do sometimes, where the disc jockeys all show up at some concert hall and then you tell old radio stories and people pay to get in to see that. I can remember I was doing the all night show and somebody came up to the window and said, Hey Rich, you got any drugs you can sell me? Oh, that's great. That's great. Here's a story I would tell. This is, this is a story I would tell. So back in the old days, remember when I say old days, probably late seventies, early eighties, right before I got to St. Louis. Mike Owens, Mike Owens, who was the consumer reporter on Channel 5 for a couple of decades, eventually married Lyda Cruson. But uh, anyhow, Mike Owens was uh, working the all-night shift along with a couple of people at KMOX. It was back in the days where you had a fully staffed 24-hour-a-day newsroom. They don't have that anymore. People go home at 5 o'clock and the place is empty until like 4 the next morning. But back in those days, you know, they had a fully staffed newsroom. Unfortunately, it was St. Louis, so rarely did any news actually take place. So basically, these people were being paid to sit around and just, you know, sit around jerking their gherkin because there was nothing to do. And we all heard these legendary stories about Bob Hyland getting into work at like 3 a.m. The man supposedly never slept, even though people will tell you he was always sleeping at the Missouri Athletic Club during the day. The guy was one of the strangest people I've ever met in my entire life. That would take that would take about fifty separate podcasts to explain why. But anyhow, he was a pillar of the community, you know, highly respected individual. Some people said more political power than the mayor himself. But an interesting thing would happen. It was observed by Mike Owens and a couple of his buddies in the all night, twenty four hour day KMOX newsroom that sometimes Bob Hyland would drive into work, park his car and then take one of the unmarked KMOX newsroom cars with no markings on it and uh, and disappear for a couple of hours you know, in the middle of the night. This is before people's alarms even go off in the morning. Where could he be going? So one day, one day they decided they were going to follow him. And so they did. And, uh, and he parked his car in front of a South St. Louis apartment building where it was rumored he had a dolly waiting for him and then he would complete his business shall we say and then get back in the unmarked camwex newsroom car drive back to the radio station and then go to work so owens waited for this is he told me this whole story in detail uh, and it was even much funnier than i'm t- I'm telling it. So the next time he did it, they followed him again. But this time, Mike Owens brought along a little gift, a little surprise, I guess you would say. He brought along a piece of Bob Hyland KMOX official stationery. And when Hyland parked the car in front of this apartment building and went inside, Mike Owens hopped out of his car <laughs> and put and put 
the piece of Bob Hyland stationery underneath his windshield wiper and then drove off. So that morning when Bob Hyland came out of the building, he had to accept the idea that somebody at his own radio station knew where he was going in the middle of the night. Now that's the kind of story that I would tell at the window. All right, starting today on Amazon, the series premiere of Daisy Jones and the Six about a new rock band in the 1970s. Elvis's granddaughter, Riley Keough, is Daisy, and one of her bandmates is Sam Claflin from the Hunger Games movies. And uh, it looks really, really good. She was on with uh, Colbert the other night, and she's just lovely. She's so oddly interesting. Chris Rock, new Netflix stand-up special tomorrow, also tomorrow night, Travis Kelsey hosts Saturday Night Live. American Idol is back this weekend. Last of Us, Episode 8. The new Bill Maher tonight. First batch of Oscar presenters has been announced. Jennifer Connelly, Ariana DeBose, Questlove, Glenn Close, Samuel L. Jackson, Melissa McCarthy, Michael B. Jordan, Emily Blunt, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, Janelle Monet, and Zoe Saldana. Metallica's James Hetfield going to star in a new Dark Western with Peter Dinklage and Juliette Lewis. Birthdays today. The very, very sexy Camila Cabello is 26. Jessica Biel, 41. Tone Loke, the funky Cole Medina, 57. Jackie Joyner Kersey, one of the sweetest women I have ever known and a hell of an athlete, 61. Herschel Walker, 61. Jennifer Warnes sang uh, along with um, Bill Medley on I've Had the Time of My Life, Dirty Dancing, Up Where We Belong with Joe Cocker, and sang backgrounds along with, background rather, along with Linda Ronstadt on Warren Zevon's Excitable Boy. Jennifer Warrens used to be a regular on the old Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour, by the way. 76 today. And the Rodney King incident, shall we say, 32 years ago on this date, 1991. Birthdays for Saturday, Patricia Heaton, Crackpot, very, very good comedic actress, but nutty as a fruitcake, 65. Michael T. Williamson from Forrest Gump and also from St. Louis, 66. Catherine O'Hara, where do we even start with her? Home Alone, Best in Show, Schitt's Creek, Beetlejuice, SCTV, she's amazing, at 69. Sunday birthdays, Eva Mendez, 49. Michael Irvin, 57. Asif Madvi from The Daily Show, one of the funniest people. The guy just, I just see him and I start laughing. 57. And Eddie Grant, living on Electric Avenue these days, 75. And now to the NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt and special guest star Al Roker. We have this really severe risk of weather for 28 million people, large and strong tornadoes. We're talking baseball, Lester, that's about the size of baseballs. That's what we're worried about. Oh, my God, Al, no. Not baseballs the size of baseballs. Baseball, Lester, that's about the size of baseballs. Maybe someday we'll have hailstones the size of hailstones. Which is what I think he meant. And with that, the J.C. Corcoran podcast for Friday, March 3rd, 2023, is in the can 27 days until opening day. We are here every weekday morning right about this time. 11 a.m. is our new publish time. And we have good news coming on the new radio station very soon. We will let you know as soon as it is officially official. Follow me on Facebook, The Showgram with J.C. Corcoran. You can email me, jc at jconline.com. Have a great weekend, everybody. In the meantime, we've beaten this one to death. Have a good one. See you later. Bye. The J.C. Corcoran Podcast.